0: I want to read out of uh, Titus, and, and while Paul was talking, I was thinking about what was talked about in chapter one of Titus. This man lines up with whatever scripture has put before us for guidelines, and I'm excited as well. But where I want to start reading um, for this is to prepare our hearts for worship in the way of repentance and Asking God to guide our hearts. So this is Titus 2. All right. Uh, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slaves to much wine. and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that the, an opponent may be put to shame, not uh, having nothing evil to say about us. So let's bow our heads and I will lead us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you have given us instruction on how to live. You have forgiven us. And you have paid the price for our sin. God, forgive us all. God help us seek you. Help our hearts be turned to you, God. And thank you that you receive that and that you accept it and the the loving gift that you give to us, uh, God. We want to give back gratitude. God, I pray. Uh, I pray for all of us. I pray that our hearts be turned to you. Amen.
1: Our psalm today is Psalm 81. It's hard to believe we've been 81 weeks into reading the psalms here. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear language I had not known. I re- I relieved your shoulder of the burden your hands were freed from the basket in distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Sila. Hear O my people while I admonish you O Israel If you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward me, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you at the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. God is good. Let's stand and... Saying, Beautiful one. Is he not beautiful? Would you read us? Thank you. And we have the privilege again today to have Bob Lowe, uh, who's Peter Lowe's father, uh, joining us to present the word to us today. So, Bob.
2: Thank you. Last week, we talked about the difference between uh, secular love and biblical love, and this week we're going to focus on marriage, look at secular marriage, our concept of it, and then biblical marriage. I forgot to tell you last week that there are actually handouts from uh, the the sermon, so uh, it's part one and part two, they're on where the bulletins are. I would encourage you that there's a lot of diagrams that are going to come up, okay? Don't worry about trying to copy those down, because they're on the sheet, and you can just... uh, uh, you know, kind of look at them later, and what I really like you to do is just concentrate on understanding. Okay, and then uh, if there's some insight you want to write down, go ahead, but don't worry about trying to copy down all the, uh, uh, all the diagrams. And that you get the uh, the overflow of my engineering background. I like diagrams, you know, in terms of understanding and, and stuff like that. So. Um, like I said, that uh, um, last week we talked about uh, uh, the idea of a love relationship, and we looked at uh, uh, love from a sta- secular standpoint, and so we discovered that the secular love is romantic love. You can go ahead and do the next slide. So romantic love is based on feelings, emotions, and the highest form of romantic love is tragic love, and we looked at that. In terms of that tragic love is where you kill one or two people off and because you want to hold that emotion really high, but emotions go up and down, so you just kill them off at the high point and you get tragic love and a great love story. The problem is it's not a very good model for marriage, right? Short short relationships there. And so then we went and said, well, what is a better model? And the greatest model would be the love relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And so we looked at that, and we discovered that even though uh, in looking at that model, both of them have a love, but it's expressed the father in terms of giving love and the son in terms of submitting love. You can go to the next slide. And although they're different, they're both based on trust. And so what we saw was that instead of uh, love relationship based on emotions – that God said that relationships are based on trust. And if you think about that, you realize that the good relationships you have with people are based on trust. And then from that point, we actually looked at uh, other relationships that God calls us to love relationships. The love relationship between us and the father, as he calls us his children. And we saw that again, that God's giving love. The father gave his son, the son gave his life, the Holy Spirit gave his very self. And what does he ask from us? He asks our obedience, that we submit to him in the same way that the son submits to him. And then we went and looked at the love relationship in marriage and discovered that, lo and behold, it's the same dynamic, that there's a, a giving love, the husband loving the wife sacrificially, and then a submitting love in that the wife submits to the husband. So... In looking at a biblical model of marriage, we need to understand how much God honors and, and elevates marriage. And these are familiar verses. Jesus said, you know, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and he joins with his life. And the two shall become one flesh. And whatever God should join, and no man separate. And then Hebrews, marriage is to be held upon honor on all. So marriage is a very honored thing. In God's eyes, it's a love relationship that he's designed, and it's um, a special blessing that he's given given to us. But before we look at biblical marriage, let's take a look at secular marriage, just basically uh, the thoughts and ideas that come with a heterosexual marriage, right? you have a man and a woman, and what does society say? So the question would be is, what or why would two people get married? a man and a woman. And so you see a newlywed couple and you go up to the apps you know, and ask them, well, why did you get married? What would they say to you? We love each other. That's right. Isn't that obvious? You know, that's just pretty uh, pretty straightforward, that that would be the number one thing that we would say, being in love. So what I want to do there is just make a diagram of that. And so what are we going to symbolize uh, being in love? So next slide. So we're going to put this man and woman, husband and wife now, and we're going to put this fuzzy feeling of being in love around them. Okay. Well, another reason that people get married is the idea of common interests or compatibility. right? That would be another idea. So common interests. So let's go back to the diagram, and we'll put those two circles together, and you get that purple inside that's like that common interest in that way. Another reason that people might... Uh, say that we're getting uh, married is because we think we're going to be happier married than we will be happy unmarried, right? So go back to our diagram, and then we'll look at that. We'll put that little love, that heart up there and, you know, call it happiness. And the other thing we talked about was the, in along with happiness, the idea of fulfilling the other spouse. So we look at fulfillment. Let's symbolize, symbolize that with a little arrow. So go back to the diagram, and you see these little arrows pointing toward one another. Not only am I going to be happy, but I'm going to, my life is going to fulfill the other person, and that's going to make them happy also, right? So this is society's uh, concept of, uh, of heterosexual love. Now, what's interesting is that the very reasons that people get married, become the very reasons that people get divorced. Now, it sounds crazy, but it's really true. So how does that happen? How come the very reasons you got married become the very reasons you get divorced? Well, let's look at them. Go ahead, next slide. So I fell in love, so I get married, and I fall out of love, so I get divorced, right? And we had all these common interests, so we got married, and then we drifted apart, so we get divorced. You know, I got married so I could be happy and fulfilled, but I'm not happy and fulfilled, so therefore I get divorced. So it's crazy, but that's what happens. So let's take a look at those. So the this is the diagram, and now that fuzzy feeling in love is gone. Now how does that happen? Well, the Righteous Brothers had a little song back in the '60s to kind of talk about that. Go ahead with that. I'd, I'd sing it for you, but I'm not a good
3: singer. <laughs> You
0: lost that
3: love and oh, love you lost
2: that love it oh, oh, oh. They do a lot better than I would. <laughs> but isn't that true, Right? You might not realize, but that was a number one song both in uh, England and also the U.S. In the 20th century, it was the most played song in the oldies in either TV, radio, and that. Most people identify with that understanding that they've lost that loving feeling. Well, how does that happen? Well, you know, people get married, uh, have a number of kids, have a mortgage, go and work. And all of a sudden, the guy starts thinking, you know, I have more fuzzy feelings toward my secretary, you know, who looks good, really sharp, spring me coffee, than my wife at home. And the reason I got married was because of fuzzy feelings, right, that I was in love. I'm supposed to be married to the person that I'm having these fuzzy feelings for. And if these fuzzy feelings are more for my secretary than for my wife, then, well, I guess I married the wrong person, so now I need to marry my secretary. That's, that's the way we think. That's the way we've been taught in society, you see, in, in that way. Well, <clears throat> what, what happens about the common interests? We drift it apart. How does that happen? Well, two people get married. you know maybe the wife focuses on family and, and home, and the other one husband focuses on work, or maybe they both work, right? and they're focusing on their careers. And then after five, you know ten years, they look at each other and say, is this person? You know, I'm, this is what I'm interested in over here. This is what I'm interested in over here. And all of a sudden their lives have drifted apart. And they say, well, I guess there's no reason to be married anymore in that way. And then the idea of happiness. You know, we know that happiness is, you know, the fairy tales, the idea of I'm going to live happily ever after. We know that's a fairy tale, right? Go ahead. Next slide. But we know that, but you notice even it's italicized, it's not just regular print. I mean, this is, you know, they live happily ever after. And we don't think about it, but we really have that in in mind. You know, that, well, I'm going to marry and I'm going to live happily ever after. But, you know, marriage is not easy. Life is not easy, right? There's ups and downs. There's hardships. And marriage and life is hard work. And people get thinking, well, I'm not happy. You know, this is hard. And isn't life supposed to be easy? Isn't marriage supposed to be easy? And again, it's the lie of the devil, right? It's just not true. But we're just immersed in our culture to that. Romance novels, romance movies, you know, and they lived happily ever after. And so, well, if I'm not happy, then this must not be the right. Something must have gone wrong. And so, the way I'm going to fix it is I'm going to get divorced and marry somebody else who's going to help me live happily ever after. It's the same way with the idea of fulfillment that sometimes it's not so much, well, my life is just not what it should be. It's not fulfilled like I want it to be. You're not, not achieved the things that I wanted to happen. Um, maybe my wife and family is holding me back, or maybe. My husband's not giving me the opportunity to do all the things that I wanted. And all of a sudden, well, I need to get out of this situation so I can be fulfilled. And the reality is, even though there's some desire to fulfill the other person's life, the reality is we're pretty self-centered and selfish, right? The, in in sinful nature. And so I generally think more and concerned about myself and the other person. That's the way we are. And so Instead of actually the arrow, there might be some arrows going toward each other, but actually there's bigger arrows going opposite. So these are the things that happen to us when uh, just life happens. Next slide. So the question is, well, if that's these are three good reasons that people get married, you know, not shotgun wedding or you marrying somebody for their money and stuff. Why is it that people in the 40s or 50s or, you know, the 20s and 30s, their marriages stayed together and marriages now aren't? That marriage divorce rate is probably between 40 or 50%. It got a high, I think, in 1981 of 53%. But then the 80s and 90s brought, well, we don't need to get married. We're just going to live with each other. So statistically, you don't get all the breakups in relationships but it still says most people getting married between 40 and 50% even today but if you look at the divorce rate between in the 50s and the early 60s it was half of that and if you go back to the uh, in America to the 20s and 40s it was a third of what it was so why what what's happened what changed what's the difference well in looking at society's concept of marriage, all these reasons for getting married are internal, internal reasons to get married. These are things that are inside of us. What about the external pressures that would keep people married? What, what are they? So let's look at some external pressures, 40s and 50s. So family. What happens if you went to mom, pa, and said, well, I'm having trouble with marriage? What would they say to you? Suck it up. Work it out. I mean, you know, marriage is hard. Get back in there. You know, and they send you right back home. Hey, what about religion? Well, most major denominations and say, hey, divorce is not right It's against the law of God. You need to work it out. So morals. Well, morals would also say you need to work out the relationship. You don't need to be having extramarital affairs and things like that. Morals would say so. Children. Again, well, we need to make sure that children are okay. That's a pressure. Financial, you know, financially, the um, what happens is that um, dual married, uh, well, two family incomes, you know, started kind of after World War II, didn't really gain uh, a lot of credence till the 60s. So there was a pressure to stay married, you know, financially. Um, Social Security didn't come in until 1935. So there's not... Uh, and then, you know, kind of entitlement programs didn't come in until the 60s and the war on poverty. So there wasn't this, the culture saying, well, we'll take care of you if you split. You know, we've got all these programs to help you out. So there was a pressure to stay married, marriage, career-wise. Career, uh, go ahead and backwards. We'll, yeah, career in the 50s, 40s and 50s, corporations were looking for stable people, right? And you look for stable people, you look for somebody who's married, you know career oriented, that type of thing. Legally, uh, the um, no no fault divorce you know didn't come in until the uh, 50s or so. So what happens is you had to give proof and before a court and a judge for a reason to get married, not to get stay married. So it's not a matter of well, I, I'm not happy or not fulfilled, and the judge would look at you and say, "You got to be kidding." You know that that doesn't work. That's not legal grounds in that way. Socially, socially, you know, normal, regular people say married. Weird people in Hollywood got divorced, but I mean, you know, that's a whole different you know category of people, and they're they're not real in the sense. And then, so what happened? Well. In trials and hard times, all these external pressures were on marriage to stay married. And so people worked it out. And when they worked it out, next time trials and tribulations come up, what do they do? Worked it out. And so they are able to work through the ups and downs of marriages because of all the external pressures that were there. What about pressures, external pressures on marriage today? So we'll go to family. Well, how many families already have divorce within the family? And the counsel you, you might get was that, well, yeah, I did it, you know, just go ahead, you know, find somebody else. Religion, yeah, sort of, maybe, but really, there's not a whole lot of uh, pressure anymore uh, from major uh, denominations to stay married. There's still some conservative churches and things, but generally speaking, it's not there. Morals, you gotta be kidding. Morals will pull marriages apart in that way. You can go on websites, you know, pornography, different other things, and then they actually have websites for, would you like to have an affair? Well, fill this in, we'll pair you up in, in that. You know, it's just ridiculous. Children, well, not really. You know, that uh, what's really important is my happiness. You know, if I'm not happy, the children won't be happy. Financially, <clears throat> you got two people working, you've got support things, so finances is not really that big a pressure anymore. Career, what do companies say? As long as you making me money, I don't care what you do personally, right? You just bring the dollars in and we'll be okay. And in fact, in that kind of an environment, career sometimes pulls marriages apart. Legally, there's no-fault divorce, but then you have radio ads and advertisements on TV of You know you're having problems, come to me, we'll get you the best deal, get out of your marriage, right? So, in that way. Socially, hey, you talk to your best friend at work, and they'll tell you, hey, don't stick with that guy, he's a loser. You know, I got rid of mine. And so, socially, it's no stigma in that. In fact, the advice you get from friends sometimes is, yeah, just take care of yourself, get out of there. And then Trials, tribulations, hard times. Well, when that happens, there's nothing keeping me from just bailing out. And that's what we tend to do. We're in a throwaway society, right? And so we actually throw away marriages. I said, Well, I'll just throw away this marriage and get a new new spouse and a new marriage and go at it again. So the thing that happens is that you have external pressures. That were used to be there are no longer there, so now you have a divorce rate of of 40 to 50 percent because the internal reasons are not holding marriages together. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is not to go back to the 40s and 50s because even in the 40s and 50s, even though marriages stay together, the dynamics in those marriages was not always that great, right? And so children coming out of those marriages say, hmm, I don't, that's what marriage is. I don't want to let, be like my dad and mom in that situation. The solution is always to is to have a biblical basis for marriage and an under, understanding. So we're going to look at God's model for marriage. So one of the things that happens, go ahead, next one, is that this is society's... Uh, Model, fifty percent. They did studies, and people who had some religious background, the divorce rate goes down to approximately forty-two percent. You can show the next slide. So you put God up there, and you get forty-two percent. That's still not very good, in in that way. And that's regardless. You're a committed Buddhist. You're you know a committed Christian. You're committed whatever, and you're going to actually do better in marriage than other people. So maybe what we need to do is just make God bigger and better in marriage. No, that's not the solution, you know, in that way. So you can put big X on that one. That is not a biblical marriage in in that way. The dynamic of a biblical marriage is totally different, has a totally different foundation than a secular marriage. Going back to the dynamic of a love relationship, right, Good relationships are built in trust, in a giving and submitting love. So if we're in a marriage relationship, that's what we're looking for. Not a fuzzy feeling of love, but relationships are based on trust. To go to the next slide, we talked about the fact that that's across the board is what God puts into love relationships. Love relationship in the Godhead, love relationship with us, love relationship in marriage. Next slide. There's another aspect of love that we didn't talk about last week in terms of biblical love, and that's the dual nature of love. In Jesus, when he died on the cross, it says, then Matthew, right, that uh, I, and he's in the prayer in the garden, he says, if possible, you know, this cup pass from me, yet not I will, but as you will. And so that was a submitting love to the Father, right, saying, God, This is not going to be pleasant. This is not going to be easy. It's going to be painful in a lot of ways. But because I love you, I will do as you ask me to. Jesus, in doing that, in loving the Father and submissively, was actually loving us in a giving self-sacrificial love, right? Because in Ephesians it says, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, so in that one action... There's a dual nature. There is submission to the Father, and then the giving love to us. Well, the same thing exists in regards to God's roles for marriage. Go so next slide. Are others? You have in First John. It talks about that the one who loves God should also love his brother. Also, right? So when I submit to God, I'm going to love others either with a giving love or submitting love, but it's a dual nature. Anytime I love another person, I'm basically submitting to God's commandment to love my neighbor as myself, right? So then keep on going. If we understand that, let's look at the dual nature of love in marriage for husbands. So in submitting to God as the husband, the husband is to love his wife with a giving love, give himself up for her, Right? So now let's look at the dual nature of love for the wife. It says that be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. So in submitting to God, the wife is then going to, in that obedience, submit to her husband. Okay. So anytime I'm loving my wife, I'm actually loving God. Anytime I'm loving God, I'm actually loving my wife. And you can think about it, right? Jesus said, you know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's like two sides of the same point; They're, they're related. If I'm truly loving God, like First John 4.21 says, I'm going to be loving my brother also. So let's kind of put these together. So we have the wife in relationship with God, the husband in relationship with God, both submitting to God and then loving each other with uh, a giving love and a submitting love. And since, you know, God is up there, just one God, right? So just put him together, next slide, and you get it. And also add in the way that God loves us with a giving love, right? So now this becomes the model for marriage. And the difference is the God's just not above the marriage. You don't call out to him just because, you know, Uh, things are getting rough, or every once in a while, God is actually an active member in marriage. So in a biblical marriage, there's actually three people in marriage. There's God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, interacting with the husband and the wife. When I say it's an active partner, that means that God is controlling the lives of the husband and the wife. Not perfectly, but doing that, right? Because... He actually created marriage, right? He created them from the beginning, male and female. And therefore, God has joined them together. Let no man separate. See, God is an active partner in the fact, the way that he initiated and gave us marriage. It wasn't man's idea. It's God's idea. He's also an active partner, and he tells us how to behave in marriage. So go ahead. Next slide. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. So not only did God kind of create the institution of marriage, He also gave men and women a role in that marriage. He's saying this is the way you do it, okay. And then not only that, He's actually judge over the marriage. Marriage to be held in honor among you, right? For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. God is saying, this is the way I created you to relate to the opposite sex. When you go outside of that way, there's judgment. that Because that's not the way I created you to relate to one another. And then he also has a special message for husbands. It says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. It says, and then it talks about so that your prayers will not be hindered, right? Honor her as fellow heir of error the grace of God. So he's saying, you know, husbands, you don't live with your wives in the right way. You're not in good relationship with me in, in that. So God is a judge over marriage in the sense of saying, I'm going to discipline you if you are not operating correctly within that marriage. God wants to be an active partner in that. And, of course, he disciplines us for our good so that we would live rightly, and experience his blessing in doing the right things. Next slide. So one of the things of living with your wife in an understanding way, guys, is that women are like fine china, not Tupperware. Okay? So guys tend to uh, relate to each other like Tupperware. You know? Hey, Jimmy! How you doing? You don't go and slug your wife in the shoulder and say, how you doing? Right? And the thing that happens is that the nice thing about Tupperware, you remember Tupperware? I can just throw that across the room and it just bounces off the wall and nothing happens, right? Tupperware is great for kids, right? It's just not going to break in that way. But that's not what women are like. They're like fine china. The thing about fine china, if I throw it across the room, what happens? shatters, right? Uh, I did this illustration at our church one time and I had... Um, Barbara's grandmother's fine china. I also had our fine china from marriage. And I was about to throw it across, and you knew what happened. <gasps> the whole congregation just gasped. <laughs> you know, that's not the way you treat fine china in that way. Yeah, I could throw the Tupperware plate all around. they didn't care about that. But the minute I grabbed the fine china, everybody knew this was not what you did with fine china. And that's the thing, that if you treat fine china like fine china, then when you set it out, you're honored because of the beauty that's there, right? It's not when it's all taped up, you know, glued together, cracked, and you put it out to serve it and everybody looks at it. That's interesting. You see, God desires husbands to honor their wives in a way that they're presented as fine china to other people that they're honored that they're beautiful and they bring honor to the husband because of the way they've been treated and the way their heart their lives radiate in in that way one of the things that happens is that it's not that you will understand your wife it's that you live with her under with understanding okay so guys we will not operate and think like women do But, with enough experience, you recognize what is important to her, and then you say, well, that's not important to me. Well, it better be, because if that's important to her, I'm going to live with her in an understanding way, such that she's honored. Does that make sense? I don't have to know or think like a woman. I just have to understand what's important, what's not important, and follow through with that. Okay. Next slide. So world's model of marriage, God kind of fits in as as an overseer. Biblically, the biggest difference is that God is an active partner. What that means is is you've got to be an active partner with God. You have to have a relationship with God. You have to know his word. You have to be submissive to God. You need to be willing to submit. None of this macho stuff and says, well, the wife's got to accept me like I am. And God says, nice try, buddy. That's not the way it is. I need to change. I need to live with an understanding way, you know, that I need to do that in order to be in right relationship with God that way. Next slide. <clears throat> so we talked about the fuzzy feeling, right, that that uh, is replaced with a uh, trust and God being an active partner. What about the separation drifting apart? Well, in a biblical marriage, it's not common interest. Go ahead, next slide. It's actually, in the biblical marriage model of marriage, it's your common commitment to God. That's the things that are going to God's active partner. Go ahead, next slide. So there's that trust and commitment In terms of versus feelings and love. Go ahead, next slide. And so, from being love or romantic feelings, there's a covenant relationship, trust from faithfulness. So now there's a commitment. You can go against your feelings. Did you know that? It's okay. It's not being hypocritical. Well, if I don't feel like it, I shouldn't do it. It's hypocritical. Okay? How many of you have? five o'clock or six o'clock, when you have to get up to work, feel like going to work. What do you feel at five or six o'clock in the morning? Feel tired, right? You know, you know. But you get go to work. Why? You have a commitment. And also you'd like to put food on the table for you and your family, right? So almost daily you're doing something against your feelings. It's just because you know the importance of it in order the way that you're living life, right? So, the trust is a commitment. You know, there's a lot of beautiful women in this world, but I only have eyes for one. That's my wife. Why? Because that's my commitment. You see that? You see that? You have to make that kind of decision. That's what Job said. He says that uh, my eyes are not going to wander. They're going to be committed in that way. The world is going to give you all sorts of reasons to be looking all over the time. No. This is the one that God has given me. She's a precious gift, and she's the one I'm sticking with because that's a commitment. I'm married. Next slide. So we talked about common interests, right, that that's part of the reasons people get married. But in a biblical marriage, the strength is not common interests. Next slide. You see, we want to say, well, that's the common interest. That's not the strength of the marriage. Go, next slide. This is where the strength of the marriage is. Because what happens is we're pretty fallible. You know, we get upset, we get angry, we get jealous. We do all those different human things, emotions, right? But God does not. And so what happens is that if my relationship with God is strong, Even when my wife is unlovely, I will continue to love her because I'm going to be obedient to God. Even when my husband's acting like a jerk, I'm going to continue to love him because I have a relationship with God and he has told me that I need to submit. And as you submit and God works on your husband, things work out in that way. So what God has done is he says, I want you to use the strength of your love for me so that you can be a better husband and you can be a better wife, that you can really do what you need. And again, go ahead, next slide. Remember we talked about trust? Well, that's we also, another word for trust is faith, right? In trusting God, I'm putting my faith in him. Even though things are maybe not working out exactly where I want them down here, as I God and continue to be obedient to him he will work through what needs to get worked through in that way next slide so instead of common interests we have a common commitment to God that's going to be the strength of the uh, of marriage next slide so we talked about happiness and fulfillment right so what is that in a biblical marriage go ahead next slide. Well, we have a problem, right? Because one of the things that happen is that because we're selfish, right? It talks about Shoal and Adam are, what, never satisfied, and nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. See, we, we tend to be selfish people. Next. And then it talks uh, in Ecclesiastes that Hugh, what, loves money. They will not be satisfied with money. We just are selfish and don't, satisf- don't have satisfaction. And then in Habakkuk, it talks about the man who is going to basically is not satisfied till he conquers the world. He's just going to keep on going. The reason that happens. Next slide. Illustration of this is the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Now they're both filled by the Jordan River. Okay, Sea of Galilee is a living lake, right? Fishermen, fish, it's it's alive, okay? And the reason is, is that the water flows through it. What happens at the Dead Sea is that the water flows into it and stops. It's not flowing out. It's a picture of selfishness. Everything, I'm going to keep everything for me. And then because the salt is there, right, it just gets... More and more salty until finally it deadens the water. Nothing can live in it. If everything has to flow into to me because of my selfish, sinful nature, I will never be satisfied, and it kills love in me, and it kills love for people on the outside. Love happens when it flows through. Jesus said, "It's more blessed to give than than to receive," and. That's what we need in marriage. So next slide. So what instead of a little heart there, put a cross. Because even in marriage, the purpose of marriage is not happiness for you. It's actually fulfilling God's purposes through your marriage. The byproduct is happiness because God uh, brings that. But the focus is not my happiness. The focus is doing the will of God. And it doesn't just stop with the husband and wife doing the will of God. The love that God gives to them, then they love each other, and then they love their children, right? And through that whole family, they love the community. And so the, the love that comes into that marriage actually flows out of that marriage to family, to friends, to community. And it's a lot. And it brings happiness, joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment. That's what God desires for us in in marriage. The thing we need to realize is that biblical marriage is not just God on top of a secular marriage. It's not about fuzzy feelings of love. It's not about common interests. It's not about happiness and fulfillment, living the happy ever after. It is totally different. It is based on the fact that God is an active partner. It's based on a commitment to one another. It's based on our common commitment to God and our relationship with him so that there's that strength in the marriage. And then it's based on doing the will of God such that we experience the fulfillment and allow the love to flow through our lives into the lives of other people. Next slide. And that's the summary that we just talked about. You see, my happiness, fulfillment, the focus is me, inward, right? It's the Dead Sea. But pleasing God, God's will is a couple. The focus is outward on others. And that's where we need to be. There's a acronym for joy. J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you. That's what brings joy in in life. Next slide. So... That's your model of biblical marriage. The thing that we should kind of learn from this is that, you know, a relationship with God is not just kind of something to make you spiritual. It's not something that's just, you know, up there so I can say, boy, look what a good Christian I am. It's vital. It's vital to your marriage. It's vital to relationships. You know, having a quiet time, connecting with God, really, really important. One of the, um, pastor that was mentoring me one time said you know Bob I don't know of anybody any pastor who had it affair who didn't stop having this quiet time months and years before that and so that if we want to be faithful in marriage and faithful to other people boy I need to be faithful to God if my faithfulness to God is holding true my faithfulness to my wife my family my community will be there also in that way askeds Dan, if you'd come. Okay.
1: Thank you, Bob. Let's stand as we close with great is thy faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness that we have to build our lives upon.
3: Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings are mine and with thousands beside Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me.
1: And Lord, we come before you and thank you for your tremendous faithfulness to us. Thank you for your tremendous love for us that can never be shaken. Neither can be removed. Father, may we love with that kind of love. May we be faithful to those you've entrusted into our lives as you are faithful to us. Lord, forgive us for falling short being so self-centered. Father, may we die to ourselves that Christ may live through us every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.